1: Think on your feet for our fast and curious 5K, a one of a kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Please don't sit on my bed in your outside clothes. That's not me talking, it's comedian, author, and actor Phoebe Robinson. In fact, that's the title of her brand new book. It's a series of essays, hilarious essays, that explore everything from pop culture to self-care to white guilt to being a woman who doesn't want to have kids. So back to that unique book title, Please Don't Sit on My Bed in Your Outside Clothes, was also a hard and fast rule in my house growing up. My mother would kick me out of her bedroom until I changed out of my school clothes. But for those listening who still don't get Phoebe's book title, let her tell you what it means.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's certainly a cultural thing. And my parents were the same way growing up as a kid with my brother. They cleaned every week. I'm talking like washing baseboards, everything. Like their house, They wanted their house pristine. And they were like, the world is funky. The world is trifling. So when you come back into our home, you need to like get rid of those outside clothes and put on like your PJs or what have you. And maintain this high level of cleanliness that we have. Because I write a decent amount about my parents in in the book, and I really like to have sort of a a funny title, like like I've done with my other two books. Mm -hmm. I just really felt this is the perfect title to sort of capture the
1: spirit of this book. And you've got the fro out once again, looking lovely on the cover.
0: Thank you. Yeah, my thing is I'm just... With each book, the hair is going to get bigger, and then it's just going to be me naked on the cover and just covered in hair. Like, that's
1: <laughs> that's the evolution. That's going to be the next book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in this uh, new book, you, you cover a range of topics, uh, as I mentioned. You, you talk about things like being a boss, uh, surviving quarantine with your boyfriend, mm-hmm. um, childlessness. You made me both burst out laughing at times and at other times just feel super inspired reading this book. How did you decide what would make the final cut?
0: Yeah, I mean, I really wasn't planning on writing another book. did certainly didn't, wasn't planning on writing one during quarantine. But when the world sort of stopped last spring, kind of the one sort of sense of normalcy that I had, because, you know, working in television and working in these environments where you're like interacting with a lot of people, that couldn't happen. Like I was supposed to take a stand-up special last summer and I couldn't. I was supposed to finish shooting my Comedy Central talk show, doing the most, and I couldn't. And so just all these plans that I have for last year sort of went away. And, you know, I went from working in the office to, like, being at home. And the one sort of sense of normalcy – was reading because I I am kind of an avid reader. And so every morning I would wake up early, I would make a cup of tea and I would read for an hour or two. And in that way it felt as though I wasn't in the middle of this pandemic Mm -hmm. during this time period where I was sort of sitting around and still working a little bit, but certainly not to the degree that I was these things were percolating in my mind. You know, I was watching sort of the social media reaction to George Floyd's murder and how some people were on the performative allyship train. And you could sort of sense that these people are not going to stick around and really do this work for the rest of their lives. And you know, whether it's like self-care or missing traveling. So I sort of talked about my experience traveling the world for work. Mm -hmm. It really just made me feel like these are the things that I want to talk about because they're in my head. And I feel like It's related to this moment, but it's also evergreen. So I was trying to strike that balance between those two.
1: Yeah, you certainly kept it real throughout the text. Your decision not to have children. Why it gets so personal?
0: I mean, I think for me, you know, being in my mid-30s and a lot of my girlfriends are in their mid-30s or older and a lot of my friends were having kids and My boyfriend and I had pre-COVID decided that we weren't going to have kids and be voluntarily be child-free. I just knew women who were sort of like on the fence or felt as though they had to have all the answers figured out or if they were also choosing to be child-free or they're child-free because of circumstances outside their control, sort of wrestling with the way that people view them and treated them. And so for me, I'm just always like... if I can help in any way by sort of sharing like my journey about something and just being honest about it mm-hmm. and sort of just saying that it's okay to build your life any way that you want, if I could do that and that helps someone else, then I feel great about that.
1: You're right. Specifically, the the path to becoming a voluntarily child free person is not an easy one. While the process is uniquely different for each person, what I can say with absolute certainty. Is that across the board, not being a mother is one of the most internally scrutinized choices of a woman's life, even if the woman has known since she was a child that she doesn't want to have children. How do you think we can change this narrative, Phoebe?
0: You know, I think the first step would be
1: for society
0: to allow women the full range of options for how they want their lives to look as much as we advance and, you know, we're in the, I don't know what wave of feminism this is at this point, there's still that notion that women are born and their goal is to get married and have kids. And, you know, I see this, I remember my niece is now seven, but I remember like when she was younger and I wanted to buy her cute clothes. So I have a niece and I have a nephew. Okay. And I would go shopping and my nephew's clothing options would be you're adventurous, you're a builder, you're so smart, you're funny. And then all the the options for girls are just like, you're so pretty. And it's just that limiting thing of like, you are built just to be an object to be viewed or, you know, for someone to marry and then provide children for them. And that's it, you know? And I think a lot of women as well also want the world to see that if we're going to say feminism is about women being able to make their own choices, that includes all the choices. That includes whether or not they want to be a mother, whether or not they want to be a stay-at-home parent, whether or not they want to make career the most important thing in their lives. And I think we're still really beholden to these antiquated ideas of what womanhood is, what makes a real woman, and this sort of notion that motherhood is this innate feeling that all women possess, whereas that is not the expectation
1: for men. Yeah. And for women, of course, finding the right partner to mm-hmm. that, that shares your, your viewpoint. How was that when you first got together with British Bake Off, which is, of course, your code name <laughs> for your boyfriend, which I, I love?
0: Uh, thanks. Yeah. I mean, he's so wonderful and smart and he's always known, like, yeah. I don't know, ever since he was a teenager, that he didn't want to be a father and he never <laughs> had any sort of internal kind of dialogue or had there was no clock ticking yeah there was no clock ticking there was no sort of you know discussion or anything he was just like I've never wanted to be a dad next and like no one ever judged him for they're just like okay cool that makes sense and so it's so funny to just see the difference where I'm like wrestling with this decision these emotions and he's just sort of like yeah it's whatever and so when we had the conversation he was just very much I don't want to have kids, and we both decide that, obviously, if one of us, I don't know, changed our minds later down the line, like let's have a conversation about it. Right. But he's on the same page as me, and he's like, we're in this together, and it's really good to have a partner uh, where you feel like you're on the same page about stuff. Because sometimes, like, you can really love a person, but you disagree on one or two fundamental things, and then, poof, that relationship's gone. So exactly. I'm glad that we're... We're in a good spot.
1: I feel like I owe you two a congratulations for getting through the pandemic together. <laughs> you're still together. That's that's something that not a lot of couples can say. So mm-hmm. what was the secret to your success?
0: Oh, gosh. I mean, I don't know if there was like any secret. I mean, I think it was a major adjustment because he works in music touring. And I tour for stand-up. So pre-COVID, you know, we'd be gone from each other like a lot and then come back together for like a week or two and then we're like gone again. And so I think there was certainly a big adjustment to go from that to quarantining and being around each other 24-7. I think we definitely had to sort of figure out the system. I think one of the things that we really got smart about was just giving each other alone time and just being like okay he wants to go like zone out and play video games for a couple hours I'm gonna go do my thing or if I want to go for a walk he'll be here in the apartment working just giving each other space even though we were quarantining still trying to have date nights we obviously weren't doing them you know as much as we would have been outside Mm -hmm. of quarantine but it was just like okay we're gonna stay in and we'll cook something together and then we'll have a nice meal and watch a movie. And, and, and it helped us like not just fall into roommate land and really just keep sort of the romance alive. And then also, you know, you do, little therapy helps every now and then. We yeah. check in with a therapist like once a month just to be like, hey, this is where we're at. This is where what we want to work on. And outside help is always great.
1: Definitely. Shout out to therapy. Phoebe, you're from the Midwest, right? Mm-hmm. Cleveland? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Do you get to go back often?
0: I try to go back three times a year. I haven't been back since 2019, which is such a bummer. And definitely want to try and go this um, upcoming winter. But yeah, I love Cleveland. Cleveland's great. And I think at my heart, I am a city person, which is why I live in Brooklyn. But I think I learned so many foundational things in the Midwest. I'm so glad that I grew up in Cleveland.
1: So this book is your third book as we mentioned. Mm-hmm. Has the process gotten any easier?
0: Yeah, I think the first book, anyone who's embarking on that, even if you, you know, you've written essays before, you freelance wrote for magazines and websites as I had done, a book is a different undertaking when it's like, okay, deliver 80,000 words in like 14 months or something. And so I think with the first book, it was sort of me learning how to write a book as I was writing it. And so I was feeling all this pressure of like, is my work. I don't want to make a general statement, but I know for me as a black person, I was like, my writing has to live up to the literary canon of other Black writers that came before me. And then I just sort of had to take the pressure off myself. And so now by the third book, I just want to have a lot of fun. I think this is my best writing yet. I think I want to be as honest as possible. I tried to just be vulnerable instead of just sort of deflecting with jokes. And Mm -hmm. I think that's like a good sign of maturity in my writing. And so I think at this point I have more grace for myself and... And I'm pushing myself more, which is great.
1: This is also the first book from your brand new literary imprint, Tiny Reparations uh-huh. Books. Yeah.
0: I mean, when I met my literary agent in 2014, and he found me on some... um List of like New York stand up comedians, blah blah blah. And then he saw that I had a blog called Blaria, which uh stood for Black Daria. And so he reached out to me and he said, Hey, you're probably writing a book already, but if you're not, I would love to meet up. So we met up and I told him my idea for me, You Can't Touch My Hair. And we had we just had such a, a great lunch. And he sort of sensed that I was not. I didn't want to be just a a one and done writer. So he asked me, he's like, "Well, what's the end game for you?" And you know, I told him, "Oh, I think I would like to have an imprint." Like I didn't know what that meant. I just knew that I loved reading books and I wanted to be surrounded by books, which is a, a decent part of being of running an imprint, right? And so, shortly before COVID, we had a meeting with my publisher, and I sort of like pitched him like what my idea for my imprint would be, and. You know, we had a little back and forth about it and it seemed good. And then COVID happened. And I was like, oh, well, the world is much more, you know, it's a different place. Having an imprint really isn't that important. And then, you know, as I came up with this idea for this book during COVID, Robert was like, hey, we should revisit this imprint idea. And I was like, you sure this isn't too like silly or slight of a thing? And he was like, this is a perfect time for so many people. Right are using books to help them cope, so why not be a part of this? And Plume, to their credit, totally got our vision, and when we picked the talks back up again, and they were like, yes, let's do this. This is the right moment, and Now we have 11 books on the slate, including mine. Wow. And the other, yeah, which is really exciting. And the other 10 authors are all debut authors, which I'm really proud about. Publishing literary fiction, nonfiction, essay collections, and a little bit of poetry. So there's something for everyone, which is really exciting.
1: That is so cool. You know, I first came across your name from the Two Dope Queens podcast. That was my introduction to you and uh, Jessica Williams. That was five years ago and yeah. i've I've been a fan stalking you guys ever since. Uh, <laughs> but but one thing I can say, Phoebe, is that no matter what you've done, be it the television shows or the standups, the movies, the books, you're the exact same. like you you speak your mind, yeah. you're unapologetic. How important was that to you, especially in this industry that changed so rapidly?
0: yeah i mean i started out doing stand-up 13 years ago and so i think there's sort of the mindset of just do what's come before you and and sort of these are the traditions and this is how things are done and so you know coming into stand-up it was like carlin Pryor, chris rock seinfeld all those cats are amazing they're incredible they're legends they're icons but you know I'm not a straight dude. I'm certainly not a straight white dude. And you know, what I had to learn during my journey with stand-up comedy, certainly that kind of informed the rest of my career going forward was, you know, I would be going out for these writing jobs or there's on late night show. I think I submitted to write for SNL like three or four times Mm -hmm. and I wasn't getting any of these writing gigs and I really had to go, well, yeah, because I'm trying to sound like someone else instead of sounding like me. Like, you know, I love Jimmy Fallon, but, like, I shouldn't be trying to mimic his voice. I should hone my own comedic voice and go that way. And so shortly before Jessica and I met, I was kind of like, I really just want to double down on my voice. Mm-hmm. And Two Dope Queens was really born out of Jessica and I being like, we don't see enough women. We don't see enough people of color. We don't see enough queer people on late night who are doing amazing stand-up. So we're just going to have a show in Brooklyn. And I think that when that became as successful as it was, it really sort of solidified in me that the path is to follow my own voice. It's going to take much longer, probably, but at least I'll be true to myself and it'll set me up to have a career.
1: Before I let you go, Phoebe, what do you want readers to take away from the new book? I want readers to
0: unapologetically be themselves to still find some levity and light and joy as we work through this pandemic. I think as so many of us have been sort of taking stock of our lives during this time to really think about what you want and really go after it. And if that means you have to reshape your life a little bit, go for it. I think we're all doing it. I'm reshaping my life to be less of a workaholic and really rebuild a lot of or strengthen a lot of my friendships and everything. Cause I'm making more time for the people in my life. And so if it inspires you to take some sort of action, great. If it makes you just laugh and forget about your problems, also
1: great. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy with whatever. And as I mentioned, the book is out today, and it's also your birthday, Phoebe. Any big plans? You know,
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be doing some uh, some TV stuff, and my boyfriend, he's on the road with Guns N' Roses. So we're going to do, once I'm done with all my work promoting the book stuff, we're going to do a FaceTime dinner date, which is Aww. really cute because it was what we used to do when he was on the road and pre-COVID so it's very sweet we'll just, yeah so we'll find a rom-com that one of us haven't seen yet and
1: then yeah that'll be it yeah well you have a lot to celebrate that is comedian new york times best selling writer and actress phoebe robinson you can find her new book of essays titled please don't sit on my bed in your outside clothes anywhere books are sold phoebe thanks for making the time
0: thank you for having
1: me this has been wonderful that's it for today's Reset. For more of our interviews, subscribe to this podcast. And please give us a rating. It helps other listeners find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening. We'll meet again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.